if you are flipping channels and my best friend's wedding is on, you better believe it is staying on until the say a little prayer for you scene happens. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. For May, we're going to be covering a genre we covered a few years back on one of our early single genre episodes. So back by popular demand, welcome to our month-long series on fictional band movies. <laughs> That's right. We heard what some of you listeners said, and it's time to go back to some of these movies with a little more detail. Last time we just kind of we kind of did a little like brief overview. I still don't even know. I still don't even know how we used to. <laughs> Isn't it odd? Do like, do like an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes on on what we cover in like a month now. Yeah, it, well, because and it, what happened was that we would just be like, "Hey, did you see that movie?" No, no, no. no. Well, let me talk about it real quick. It was just like <laughs> us just giving bullet points, and mm-hmm. they some of them are really good. I think this is one of the better ones. Like our swashbuckling episode, I think was one of our best ones that we did. Anyway, but uh, today we're starting off uh, with the favorite of the fictional band genre. Also one that's probably become synonymous with the genre. I think it's the one of the first ones people think of. And that's Tom Hanks' 1996 film, That Thing You Do. Um, but before we dive into that, uh, let's talk a little bit about what this genre is all about. So Thomas, when you think of fictional band movies, what are some of the first movies that you think of? Um, I mean, definitely this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, Next week, we're going to be covering another one that I think of, which is Almost Famous. Yep. Um, it's, it's interesting because there are a lot of, uh, musical biopics out there. And so it's sometimes when you, when you hear like a band movie or you can think like, Oh, you know, any of these movies that's about the rise of a, of a real band, but, but there's something special in, in, and something we're going to talk about. I'm sure in this episode, there's something really special in making, uh, a fake one, especially in the, the amount of work that goes into, music specifically yeah. yeah um i'm sure we'll talk about that and 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 another one um uh, uh walk hard that we'll talk yeah, about, talk about in later. the future yeah. is um it's fascinating how much work they put in yeah. to you know you'd think like oh this little joke movie nobody worked that hard on the music but it's 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 wild but yeah and and you think about these these movies about kind of building off of these true stories because some of these bands you know that we we know the beatles the story of the beatles everyone knows the story of the beatles backwards mm-hmm. and forwards and so these a lot of people i think hear these stories and think oh i want to i want to put my own my own run on that i want to put my own twist on it and sometimes it can be kind of as a tribute like this movie kind of ends up being yeah uh, sometimes it can be to dramatize it even further and then obviously sometimes it can be to uh, parody that like they do with walk hard. Yeah. It's, it's interesting when looking at the list also too with walk hard, what I found out in this research, I'll just mention it here. So Mike Viola is the, who's from the candy butchers, I believe is the band. Mm-hmm. He's the, he's the, the lead voice track vocal track on for the wonders for Jonathan Sheck's character of Jimmy. Uh, and he's one of the big writers on walk hard. So there's this weird connection mm-hmm. between this film uh, and that film. Yeah, when looking at our Letterbox list that you can find on Letterbox, almost famous look at fictional bands slash singer movies, uh, 
it's interesting seeing like most of these films not all there's exceptions for sure there's like a a light tone to them if that makes Mm -hmm. sense like I, I, I didn't notice before. It's like I'm looking at it and I see, I see this one. I see uh, Sing Street. I see Band Aid. I see Begin Again. Uh, Juliet Naked. Like some of these song, like some of these movies that are kind of these lighthearted or comedic films. Do we? Yeah, you know, I haven't looked. Do we have The Rocker on there? I just want to make sure that we covered. We do have The, the Rocker um, on here. We do have The, the Rain Rocker. Wilson. Josh Gad, Emma Stone, vehicle, the rocker. We do, yeah, yeah, it's on here. Uh, two point six on Letterboxd. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that was something I rented. But yeah, it's like, but yeah, as you talked about too, it's like it's it's some of these are based in fact. When you look at something like um, Dream Girls, which is kind of based around the Supremes, or if you look at the Five Heartbeats by Robert Town. Robert Townsend, sorry, Robert Townsend is a very different person. Robert Townsend, uh, it's about the Temptations, a kind of a a, a uh, dramatization of the Temptations, because a lot of times, I mean, it, even something like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the the Coen Brothers have never said this out loud, but but I like to think that it it, it definitely feels like Inside Lewin Davis just came from somebody being like, what would happen to Paul Simon if Art Garfunkel just like up and died <laughs> right when they were. <laughs> getting started which turns into a very makes for a very dark movie yeah, but it does. Uh, that does kind of seem to be the 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 jumping off point for yeah. that story and and then you have kind of the the parody movies like as you said walk hard or this is spinal tap uh another one cb4 which is it's not a band but it's a rap group mm-hmm. uh but or airheads i think of as well like these kind of just yeah. com- like straight up comedic takes or like parodies of these specific genres uh even cry even cry baby uh that john waters did is a very like 1950s like parroting those early 1950s rock movies for teens or whatever Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of a lot of stuff in this genre and we talked about how there's a lot of biopics a lot of them do kind of follow these like music biopic tropes a lot of the time Mm -hmm. um it's the creating the band it's the uh band getting some success like uh, there's my like in this one i was watching uh this one and i think i saw clips of joe's and the pussycats we're gonna be talking about as well later in the month and there's very similar montages together and it's Mm -hmm. the like climbing up the charts the climbing up the charts when they're getting bigger type montage or the going on tour going on tour like that's kind of a big thing in a lot of these films i think of like i think a star is born does that sometimes like the going on tour thing it's all the the, uh, of lady gaga and bradley cooper like at all these different concerts or like stagecoach and things like that like that those these montages are like a big part of the journey of these character or these characters mm-hmm. um and then usually not all the time but a lot of these kind of like creating the band and seeing how big they can go uh it usually will end the movie ends with like a big performance like the important performance of the band so I think of this movie, I think of School of Rock, even I think of to an extent, it's not a band performance, but like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, because they're kind of a <laughs> band and it's the yeah. the big performance of putting all them together. Um, and, or uh, another movie called or Sing Street, I think like that, too. Blues Brothers, like all these movies are kind of in I was that about to realm. say, Brandon, what's going on? You haven't even mentioned <laughs> Blues Brothers once in this whole spiel. I know. I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much about Blues Brothers. If I, if I start going, it's going to get crazy. 
Um, but yeah, like th those are always that's part of kind of the 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 DNA of the genre. So and, and so we if you start watching, hopefully you can watch along with us this month. If you're also watching other movies in the genre, not just these four that we're talking about. But there's a lot of stuff on this list. Go check it out. Uh, but today, like I said, we're going to be talking about that thing you do. And if you haven't seen that thing you do, which some people haven't, uh, it's available now to, to stream on Prime and Hulu. Uh, it's also available to rent on any platform you have. And so that thing you do, it tells the story of Guy Patterson, a young man who works at his family, family appliance store in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, at night, he spends his time jamming on his drums in the basement of the store, reliving his brief glory days of being in a band. Uh, some of his friends, I believe, are younger. It's I think it's kind of shown because I've seen the director's cut a couple times too. It feels like the kid, like like uh, the band that he's going to be coming into is a little bit younger. Uh, the rest of the wonders, mm. um, and and so they, they these these young guy young friends are have formed a band. They've just landed this gig at a talent at a local talent show, and their drummer accidentally injures himself. And the group brings on Guy for a one night only appearance in their band, now called the Wonders, but spelled O N E D R S. Always mispronounced as the O N E D R S. Um, and but and due to Guy's instinct of speeding up their chosen song for the show, the Wonders are now a hit in town, and we now begin to see their rise through the musical wank ranks the qu their quick rise to the musical ranks becoming one of the hottest young acts in music at this point uh so the cast cast star or stars tom everett scott as guy Liv tyler as faye jonathan sheck as jimmy steve zahn the always phenomenal steve zahn as lenny ethan embry as tb player the bass player because they don't give him a name in this movie uh and <laughs> Uh, and Tom Hanks is Mr. White. A bunch of cameos we'll talk about later, too. Crew intro. Tom Hanks really put together a phenomenal crew. <laughs> and I I, I, I I knew a little bit about it. And so it was funny to look at the credits. So you, ha you have producers Jonathan Demme and Gary Gitzman. Uh, you have producer and cast, cast member Jonathan Demme. Jonathan Demme, yes. He is a cameo as the beach party director. Uh, and also Edward Saxon. Uh, Saxon and Demi were and Gitzman were all producers on Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, which Demi had directed in Philadelphia, which starred Tom Hanks. Director of photography, Tak Fujimoto, who also was the DP for Silence of the Lambs. Uh, editor, Richard Chu, who was the co-editor on Star Wars New Hope, The Conversation, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The score was done by Howard Shore, who had also done Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, I believe, but also later became famous for his Lord of the Rings score. Uh, the costume yeah. design was done by Colleen Atwood, who also had done Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia, but also had done other kind of uh, well-known films such as Edward Scissorhands and many of Tim Burton's later films. So a pretty solid like, like batch of talent. Yep. Even, even after this. And I, and I wonder how much people like Demi and Saxon and Gitzman had because they were coming off of Silence of Lambs in Philadelphia. If they were just like, hey, let's just get the people that we've used on our stuff before for Tom. Um, yeah, that's 100% how it works. Yeah, no, it does. And, and so it's funny because when looking into this, this really feels like 
a like a scrappy group of people making a movie because it's somewhat surprising to realize how uh low of a budget and kind of how like thrown together some of the stuff is not in a bad way it's it just feel it just feels like it, it almost feels like an indie film when researching some of this um mm. so into our initial thoughts thomas what did you think about when you watch when you rewatch this again for this episode yeah i've seen this movie a few times i think it, it used to be a very famous very popular cable offering yep. so yep. um dropped into many different scenes um i have a lot of thoughts on this movie it is <laughs> it is a blast it's a blast to watch for most of it um i just think it fizzles i think it really fizzles and okay. i don't know it's not the kind of movie where you look at it and there's an obvious answer to why yeah um i think part of the downfall of the the third act of this movie is because the first two acts are such so much fun mm -hmm. there's just no good way to get out of it <laughs> um but that that's something i think about it's it's one of those movies i put on if i do put on or if i turn on mm -hmm. i'm like i'm gonna watch to like this point and i'm gonna turn it off like i don't need to do, what, watch what is, it all the way through what is that point do you know that point or is it just like um probably like Probably like when they play the the Jonathan Demi movie, you know. The, the, I think oh, the, the, I just oh. think the rise. Captain Geese. I just think the, the rise is shooters. so much more fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the fair. whole like rise and and going up the charts and all that, and then once they get to L.A., that's when it kind of feels like it's when it kind of feels like Hanks is like, oh yeah, I need to like. That's that's when all the like Del Sharp stuff kind of starts up, uh -huh. and you kind of feel like, oh, I need to like figure out what the end of this movie is going to be yeah del paxton stuff so del paxton, yeah. del paxton yeah. Uh, uh yeah and then the the end is just like i don't know it, and there's a couple of reviews that we read for this where everybody was like you know this is hanks is much more interested in just capturing the era what this journey would be like yeah and this for era, someone yeah. who had a one-hit wonder yeah and he's not interested in like dissecting emotionally what the process was like or anything nope and that's fine and yeah. it's and that part is really fun but then at the end when he is kind of like all of a sudden it's like okay now here's everyone's like wants and needs yeah in the last 20 minutes i'm like i haven't cared about those before okay this point <laughs> interesting that's fair um yeah i think hanks what i think is very what makes what makes the film I think stick out to me is because his attention to detail in this movie. It's I think he's so focused on capturing the era in terms of the look and the sound of mm -hmm. it. And and as you say, he he's not diving into like deep conversations about the music industry. A lot of it's very subtle. Mm -hmm. Like it's funny look watching this and thinking about in the middle of the nineties, it's boy band mania, it's pop music mania with people like Backstreet Boys in sync, Britney Spears, uh, Spice Girls, and it's interesting seeing these guys as a boy band and how yeah. his character, Mr. White, Tom Hanks' character, Mr. White, puts these guys, <clears throat> creates an image for these guys of the dressing and, and matching suits and guy wearing the shades and becoming the bad boy of the group and becoming this of the group. It's like he breaks yeah, down you later. Know, the, the the concept of like a record label like putting these people together into a musical group and like manipulating the way that they appear or maybe even yeah. the sound that's that's really that's... not relevant <laughs> at, at all that doesn't really happen anymore these days well i guess are we gonna talk about that later in the month by the way 
for Josie and the Pussycats. We can eventually. Eventually, maybe maybe we'll work on the movie. I'd love to work on the Tramp Stamps movie. Okay, put cool. me put me on it. Okay, but yeah, it's like so. It's it's very much this. Um, it's interesting kind of. It's not. It's subtle stuff. It's the. It's the also like when they go to the record label and meet the president and how like this guy doesn't know crap about their music mm-hmm. and and mr and tom hanks just like yep that's what do you expect like yeah and and that's all, all like all that stuff is a blast and that's a really good time and i'm sure we'll dive much more into this and yeah the, the song is is a is a feat of genius like <laughs> um so so you're all you're and the cameos you're just having a really good time with them yeah and then i just don't know and it's not that I'm like, oh, I don't want it to be a bummer. Like, I don't want the end to be a bummer. I kind, I, I would rather have the end not be a bummer or be like more of a bummer. I don't know, but it just, I, it, the the last twenty minutes, I just, I'm like, I don't, I don't really care what guy does after this. I don't really care about this relationship between the two of them. Uh-huh. Um, Jimmy just like turns into an asshole like out of nowhere. <laughs> I feel like. I mean, um, he, he was kind of always an an asshole, but it, it goes into full force and like pretty quickly at the end i'll agree with that mm-hmm. i will say this to just just to announce my bias here because i want to i want to be clear with this i don't want people to, to be misled uh i've loved this movie at a very young since a very young age i'm currently sporting <laughs> the wonders t-shirt i own um so yeah i have a I have a long history of this film because I, I was like five when it came out and i remember renting this a lot i don't know if i saw it in theaters my parents might know but like I saw a lot on cable. I own the soundtrack on cassette tape for those that remember what that is. Um, and I remember around that time I was at like a summer camp and it was like that next summer after the movie came out and they were having a sock hop. Look those up. Uh, and Cause it was like this early, it was this theme of like fifties, early sixties and all these kids dressed up. And I remember bringing the cassette tape and being like, this is going to blow your minds guys. <laughs> And I thought like Guy Patterson was the coolest dude on the planet with like, I wanted to be a drummer. I was like, wanted to get like, wear those sunglasses. I remember buying drumsticks and sitting in my grandparents' living room, like drumming on like a pillow because I didn't have drums. I got like drums at a time thinking I was going to be a musician. That didn't happen. Um, so yeah, it was like, it's, this kind of had like a very special place. So I'm going to try to be very, uh, not be as biased as I could be. Uh, I try to be critical of this. And there's some stuff I want to talk about that I think don't, doesn't hold up as well. Um, so, yeah. And there's also, this is one of the things, too, with kind of COVID stuff. This feels like one, when they, last year, when they did the reunion, the watch-along, it felt like it was one of the first watch-alongs, like first, like, Zoom reunions, I believe. It was like a month after everyone had gone in, I hmm. remember, like, thinking this was new. Um, but let's dive into brief history of how this got made as brief as possible so i gotta give context of like tom hanks and like who he was at this point um because it's that's the part that the kind of baffling part of all this so tom hanks throughout the 90s tom hanks experiencing one of the greatest runs of all time period um but before this time hanks was more of a budding kind of comedic star at the end of the 1980s he had several commercial or critical duds. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Um, he had done Joe versus the Volcano, The Bonfire of the Vanities, uh, The Burbs, which we talked about in the 80s, which is now a cult classic, but not as, not as well-beloved when it first came out. And that all changed in 1992 
with A League of Their Own, which we talked about a year ago now. Um, he followed that up in 1993 with Nora Ephron's romantic comedy, Sleeps in Seattle. And that same year, Jonathan Demme's kind of courtroom drama, Philadelphia, which resulted in Hanks taking home his first Oscar for Best Leading Actor. And then in 1994, Hanks would star in probably his most recognizable and most beloved film, Forrest Gump, which resulted in another Oscar for Best Leading Actor, making him the fifth actor-actress, the only actor, uh, to win uh, Oscar for Best Leading Actor back-to-back. Uh, second only to Spencer Tracy in the 30s. I believe they were also the same age when they won their back-to-back Oscars, which is very odd. Really? Yeah. Wow. I don't ever think of Spencer Tracy. Like, I know I've seen Spencer Tracy young in something, but he feels like one of those people well, who's yeah. just, like, born, when, when we born watch, 50. When like, we watch Fury, he still looks, like, old. Like, in yeah. A way, yeah. He just eternally looked like the guy from Up, even when he was, like, <laughs> 20. Yeah. Uh, and then after Forrest Gump, Hank starred in another critical and commercial sensation, with Ron Howard's Apollo 13 in 1995. That same year, he was a voice actor in the feature debut by a young or a budding animation company by the name of Pixar. And that film would be Toy Story. And he started. I heard they made their I heard they made their cartoons on computers. They did. It was it was kind of I've crazy. never heard of that before. So this all t- I remember I real quick, I, yeah. I, I, I remember seeing Toy Story in theaters same. and like coming out and my mom my mom being like I just remember being in the car and my mom like trying to convey to me how groundbreaking that movie was. <laughs> I was like, I just liked it, mom. I just enjoyed it. I'm five years old. I, I, Can I, I get just the toys? enjoyed I just enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I, let's not talk about that. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um so yeah, that's a four year period at that point. Really a three year period. Uh or a four year period. Uh that he made all his movies. So after all those successes, Tom Hanks took a little bit of a turn in 1996 by choosing to, to make his directorial feature debut with the musical comedy about a fictional one hit wonder band. And that would be that thing you do. Hanks had said that he had become so drained during the streak that he began writing the script for that thing you do. It started during the press tour of Forrest Gump because Hanks had gotten so tired of talking about himself and in countless interviews and he wanted to keep some creative sanity. Uh, he said, in, a, in an interview with BAFTA, Hank said, I had talked about myself for a year straight, so I started to write to maintain some sort of creative sanity. Uh, Hanks had also had love for the 1960s music uh, scene for many years, specifically the many bands from the British Invasion, including the Beatles. Uh, he allegedly wrote the script, the first draft at least, I believe, within 30 days while on that, this is, uh, that tour. This is something... If you're just like if you're just a surface, if you're a casual Hanks fan, yeah, uh, you might not realize how obsessed Tom Hanks is with like nostalgia. Yes, very much so. But outside of like Gil Pender and, and Midnight in Paris, like there's <laughs> there's not many people I can think of more. He, he, the dude has, and I've read it; it's fantastic. But the dude has a book just about like how great typewriters are. Like, yep. Big a collection of short stories in which typewriters play a key role in every story like so this this is right in his wheelhouse so before writing the script however this is kind of a fun story that i found in this research hanks had been contemplating directing uh, a movie for a few years what spurred him to do it allegedly was sean penn so sean penn had just directed his one of his first movies around this time and according to hanks and if my calculations are correct (laughs) he was in washington dc for halloween in 1993 
He went trick-or-treating. So it's, I think that I don't know if they sh were shooting Forrest Gump because that was in D.C. and Forrest Gump came out in the summer of 94. But Hanks and his family, his kids at least, were in Washington, D.C. And he was trick-or-treating with Sean Penn, Robin Wright, who was dating Sean Penn at the time, uh, their kids, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was in town shooting James Cameron's True Lies. Uh, he talked about Hanks talked about how like the the we we they were like Georgetown neighborhood area and he's like yeah when we come up to the the door to get candy like they hit the celebrity jackpot because it's just Sean Penn Robin Wright Tom Hanks and Arnold Schwarzenegger standing in front of their doorway, um, and so during that time Penn told Hanks every actor should direct just to find out how hard a job it is and every director should have to act. Hanks was inspired by this, and it seems he took that to heart when writing That Thing You Do. According to Hanks, when he was interviewed for the Inside Actor Studio, uh, after completing the script, he went to 20th Century Fox and said, I'm a big honking star, and you have to let me do what I want. And they responded, you're absolutely right. I assume that was probably said in jest, but I, I don't, I, I, there was probably some truth to that. People, <laughs> people, people were in the Hanks, wanted to be in the Hanks business, I think, at that point. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and 20th Century Fox had not made a film with Hanks during this run. So once the film was greenlit, Hanks began casting the film. Producers Gary Gitzman and Jonathan Demme came on, Edward Saxon. Um, Demme, an Oscar-winning director for The Silence of the Lambs, but also directed Hanks on Philadelphia. He uh, Hanks went on to cast a lot of young and somewhat unknown actors, including Tom Everett Scott, Steve Zahn, Jonathan Sheck, Ethan Embry, Liv Tyler, Giovanni Ravisi, and Charlize Theron future mm -hmm. oscar winning actress once the cast was picked picked uh hanks began searching for that hit song that would take the wonders to the top of the charts uh they had a little bit of an open casting call where songwriters would submit demos submit tapes for possible songs for the film uh in an interview last year with variety actor ethan Embry recalls the process by saying it was very early. It was very early once we were all together in LA at a conference table, and it was all the cat, all the band members, and live. And I think Gary brought in a small stack of their favorites from the songs submitted, and we sat there and listened to them. And some varied from the Who to a Zeb Led Zeppelin-like kind of vibe. Uh, and then amongst them was a song from a young songwriter, probably around late twenties, like twenty-eight, uh, Am Schlesinger who would later gain fame as a founding member of the Fountains of Wayne, which I think the, their first album came out the same year the movie came out. Hmm. And he said he wrote the song as an exercise, this kind of Beatle-like Knickerbockers, like 60s uh, pop, band, pop rock band, thinking there was no way he would get it. And his song was chosen out of the over 300 entries that had been made for the film. Yeah. And it's a, I, I can't express enough how <laughs> this movie would fail if that, if song, that song does not work. Yeah. I it's, think, it's, yeah. It's, you hear it like a dozen times in this movie. And, think, yeah. and with this song, you're happy to hear it. Every time you hear it, you're like, yeah, this song rocks. And I mean, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a great homage to that kind of sixties rock. It's got that like, guitar riff going up and down like the mm -hmm. like the surf rock of the time it's got a drum beat that sounds simplistic but is pretty intricate and it's the same way with the vocals you go back and, and listen to the early beatles vocals and you're like oh this is pretty simple and then you yeah. start like breaking down the chords and they're doing things you that 
really and a lot of those bands at the time like the animals like that was yeah like none of that stuff made sense that they were doing like it it really was groundbreaking and um and this hits on like all of that and it and it just sounds great Into favorite scenes, give me one you got. Every scene where they play this, that thing. <laughs> um, no, I mean the 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 first time they play it at the show, yeah, is fantastic. Yeah, um, because it's got that you know, guy is just got this like what the hell attitude. It's the only time he's playing with his band. He's decided that the song is too slow, <laughs> and he's just like, you know what? Follow me. Here we go. Boom and. And it's got, it's got, I don't know. I feel like it catches everybody's yeah. character very well. Like Jimmy's immediately like, you asshole, that's not right. And, yeah, and that's not my song. Steve Zahn, <laughs> yeah, Steve Zahn's like, who cares? Everyone out here's having a blast. Um, Bass players should stand back. Like, I'm just doing my job, guys. I'm just doing yeah, my job. Yeah, TV player. That's I'm so confused as to why. Because that, that's obviously a decision that he made and like stuck to it. Because there's that that scene later on when everyone's just like, where's the bass player? And the, and the past time. <laughs> I never noticed it before until this past time I was watching it, but I was sitting there like, what's his name? Like, why would these guys who like know him like say his name? Yeah. I think I said Hanks did that because in these kind of era, the bass player was always the one changing of the, of the bands. Yeah. And so he's like, I'm just just so weird. It's like, these guys are like hometown friends and like (laughs) none of them will say his name now. Uh, But yeah, that, that one's so much fun. It, 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 that really does. It captures, and like I said, you know, the characters are very simplistic here, which is great, which is all you need. Yeah. Um, but it captures everybody so well, including Charlize Theron sitting there just being like unenthused, even though it's very like you can tell from from face reaction like, oh, this is what we've been looking for. This yeah. is the sound we needed. And, and Charlie Theron is just like I, I do not care. And then you got Giovanni <laughs> Ribisi, who's the who's the drummer who got hurt. Who's oh, like, that's too fast. He's oh, it's <laughs> too fast. Oh, no, guy, you're ruining it. <laughs> and then just like it's 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 kind of a sad character like literally it's just like if he but if he was still in the band they would not have they would not go up they yeah, wouldn't they would not have, become he didn't big. have the instincts no he didn't have the well, instincts and that's, you know i think the the movie kind of says subtly because because you know that's what and this is something we could go way deep into yeah. uh white boys you know stealing influence from african-american music that's to true make anything in the 60s but um you know, for a lot of these guys, it was a lot of people were making this kind of like mod. I mean, a lot of these guys were making the pop, and yeah. and what really took it up to rock was that a lot of these boys started getting really into uh, rhythm and blues. Yeah, and and so that they do kind of touch on here that it is if Guy hadn't been so obsessed with jazz, they they wouldn't have gotten that sound that they needed. So it it does kind of touch on that idea that like you know none of these bands would have been anything if they hadn't have you know come up on on music created by african-americans side thing do you think tom everett scott was cast in la la land because his character is so obsessed with jazz in this movie you know that's i've never never (laughs) thought of it but 
because he he becomes a spoiler for for uh, Lolly. He becomes uh, the spouse of Emma Stone at the end, mm-hmm. and it's like so he so did did he just replace Ryan Gosling's jazz deficient like uh, jazz knowledge, and he's now the <laughs> jazz guy in the family. Anyway, yeah, he he's very much he he's a he's a more because it kind of shows him playing drums to jazz music at the beginning of the movie uh, when he's in the basement of the appliance store and. Yeah, it, Chad. I think it's Chad is is Giovanni Ribisi's character because mm-hmm. they made a joke of like uh, guys like is Chad gonna solo on Wipeout or whatever, and yeah. he's like uh, Chad thinks every song's Wipeout or whatever. So it's kind of like Chad doesn't really know how to be like like he doesn't he doesn't really know much about drumming. He just knows yeah. like I can do this and that's it. And then and they make a they make a comment later when they had the first rehearsal like in the garage. And they're like, oh, well, it took days for Chad to learn that. And it was like, oh, three times. I'm good. But it seems like Chad takes very well to selling appliances. He so, does. You know, good for, he they just needed to find they, his they, calling. Yeah, they need to trade spots. Um, but yeah, I love yeah, I love the kind of chaos of like the, when Jimmy's just like, it's too fast. It's too fast. And he's like trying to keep playing. And then he still keeps trying to sing it as a ballad as mm-hmm. guy is playing and and, and i love steve zahn is the one who's like pushing him along yeah you watch it he's like he's bringing the backup vocals like yeah. the harmonies like a little bit early like yeah. trying to pull him along with the <laughs> with the rhythm um and speaking of steve zahn i mean steve zahn and everything for me i i just i love steve zahn in this movie first time seeing steve zahn i love ethan Embry. you know yeah honestly you two very very underrated character actors of I the agree. of the late 90s I agree completely. Ethan Embry, I I was making, we were, I was talking with some friends and I was like talking about like if you had to create a 90s brat pat brat pat uh brat pack, who do you put in there? And I was like Ethan Embry has to be. Like he has yeah. to be a core guy. It's like him and Breckenmeyer are two big dudes you got to put in yep. there. Yep. <laughs> and then just build off them. Build up build off them and Sarah Michelle Gellar and Frey Prince Jr. Um but Ethan Embry, like, and I think Ethan Embry and Liv Tyler had just done Empire Records at this point, uh, and they were in this movie together. But yeah, I think Steve's. I mean, I think of just like the the tour stuff of them going on tour and them going from town to town, and like, uh, I still love. I love the scene when they're when they're meeting all the the people on Playtone and they're just like being assholes, fans. like they just don't know how to handle themselves around famous people. Yeah, it's it's like uh uh with the. Uh, Oh gosh, uh, Freddie Fredrickson, Mister Downtown. Mm-hmm. He goes that I oh, I played that every night. Uh, uh, the, the like I, just, I played all the time. He's like, oh, that's cool. And then guy guy starts singing the song. He's like, oh yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> and then Diane Dane, Diane Dane, mm-hmm. you were very big to me. Um, they just I had my first boy girl thing. Boy girl thing with on you. your album cover. Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> you're very important to me. <laughs> And then like so here and then like or uh Jimmy like has a weird thing with Diane Dane at one point. It's never fully gone mm-hmm. into, but like side do you think they had an affair? Or is that just like she was crushed on this guy? I I don't know. I don't no. know either. This movie's rated PG. I don't know I don't know how risque the um yeah. the off screen it's, it's activities got. I say it's not in the director's cut. I watched the director's cut many times, it's not in the director's cut. Um so and then uh, so we, Steve's on like I like my favorite line. One of my favorite lines is the whole like uh, when he's getting interviewed by the like the local news and they're just like you guys are big. He goes, "Oh, I'm not with these fellas. I got a pig over at the livestock pavilion and I'm mm-hmm. gonna win that blue ribbon." 
Uh, and then come to find out, I think they said that half of like Steve Zahn's stuff was just improvised. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> like they, I think I read that like uh, they they called it the Steve the Steve Zahn Golden Hour or whatever. Like at the end of the day, it'd be like, okay, let's set up the camera over here and and Zahn just, just do like Steve a random. <laughs> So like one yeah. of the scenes that did that was the the Lenny's going fishing scene where he's playing with the <laughs> old men go fish at the bar. The biggest state fair in the entire world. Now talk about this latest record. It's our first record. We wrote it in my garage in Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'll wager that the kids and fellas here and all the folks at the fair are showing you a time like you never had. Oh, I'm not here with these fellas. I got a big in competition over at the Livestock Pavilion, and I am going to win that blue ribbon. I mean, Tom Hanks in this as well. I think Tom Hanks, I think it was very important. As a Tom, again, Tom Hanks being one of the biggest stars in the world at this point, decides to take a supporting role. It's like he's he's integral to the story, but he's not he's never really the main focus of the story. Yeah. And Tom Hanks, I've said this many times. I'll say it many times again. Yeah. It's the it's the downside of his his current career trajectory. Yes, Tom Hanks has become America's father. Yes, he was Forrest Gump. Yes, he was fantastic as as Forrest Gump, this man without cynicism. But he also Tom Hanks plays a fantastic asshole. Yeah. Even even Woody, like Woody, Woody is an asshole. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's great here. He, he's he's a guy. He's smarter than anyone else in the room, and he yep. knows it. Yep. And he's literally just here for these boys to make him money, and when they're done, they're done. Yeah. He he's aware of the system. Like that's kind of the thing of like the whole speech, the end that he gives guy when guys just like we're a band, like we don't break up. He's just like. He he makes the joke of like, well, the wonders are in breach of contract, and there's like, I don't, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. He goes, it's okay. Like this, it's this happens all the time. Yeah, and he's you're just, a one hit wonder that happens. That's it. Yeah, all the time. All the time. He has a very common tale. It's a very common tale. The wonders are in breach of contract. Sorry, I'm really sorry, Mr. White. Well, don't worry. No one's going to prison, son. It's a very common tale. Well, maybe for you, but I was in a band and we still have a hit record. Yeah, you do. One hit wonders. It's a very common tale. My first time in a real recording studio. You want to hang around for a while? Okay by me. But you're out of the hotel this afternoon. Can't help that. You know, Guy, Horace was right about you. You are the smart one. Lenny is the fool. Jimmy is the talent. Faye is... Well, Faye is special, isn't she? So, yeah, I, I, I like the intro that Hanks has when he's sitting at the, chi like the Chinese restaurant or whatever when Guy, and then Guy comes in after the, mm -hmm. the horrible performance at uh, Boss Vic Koss's... Uh, talent show in pittsburgh and hanks and them have a kind of just a, it's a great kind of just like intro to hanks like it's funny because his his appearance oddly the first shot of him feels very different than the rest of the performance it's when you're seeing hanks like looking at his like notebook or whatever it's it's this very kind of like um 
like alone moment when he's unaware someone's watching him. And then when he looks up and sees them walking towards him, he kind of changes his demeanor. And then he kind of gets in the business mode just like that. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I, I love the Hanks dynamic. I love, I love the Hanks dynamic with like Steve's on again, Steve's on and Hanks like them on the plane. Lenny, give me the rapper. Give me the rapper when they're, when he's eating the candy go visit the cotton mm. pick tell him it's your birthday yeah. um as you can tell i can quote this movie a lot no one we're gonna get into recording studio well now first things first fellas <clears throat> you have to go off and pay homage to mr saul siler he's the founder and chairman of playtone records hey what hotel are we staying at mm. it's the place that lucy and ricky stayed when they came out with fred and ethel and then we go into the studio exactly because the point of all this is to make more records. What would you fellas think about making an appearance in a major motion picture? Whoa! What movie? Then, something very grand on the horizon, if I have worked the phones correctly, the Hollywood Television Showcase. Hmm? We are gonna be on TV. Oh, man. Then after that, sometime, Discmaster Studios on Sunset, we cut another record. Any questions? Don't ask. I'm tired of talking to you and I want to sleep. Lenny, give me that paper. Give me the paper. Lenny, why don't you go and see if you can visit the cockpit? Tell him it's your birthday. Go, go, go. Uh, the scene I love, and I think we talked about this in the last episode a, a few years ago, it's when they listen to the song on the radio. Oh yeah, for the first time. You go back and read all the reviews. Everyone's like, "This is this is the scene of yeah, this movie." It's a joyous moment. It's a it's a it's a phenomenal moment of like, but it, it, that's why I think when talking about you saying how you like the kind of first part of it more. Again, there's a scrappy attitude in that first like two thirds of the movie before they get to L.A. It's this very scrappy attitude of these kids are like on this wild journey and everything's just going their way and we're mm -hmm. watching them as it's happening and that's kind of the thing is that like if a band is getting made if it's having that quickly there's not a lot of negative in that moment like it's just it's just them like we're, we're the song gets on the radio this is a big important moment for us we get our first big kind of uh uh like house show or like kind of talent or like the auditorium show they did um, in Pittsburgh first big city tour and they get the the farm tour and like every new thing they're doing is the biggest thing they've ever done mm -hmm. and that's why it's such a big deal when like Hanks is kind of like uh when like he brings them to the like uh the the ba the backstage like their dressing room when he's just like change of plans we're not doing this shitty tour anymore basically mm -hmm. like it, it's i think even even though mr white has seen so many different things and he's like he's trying to make them big i think he's even aware it doesn't happen this quickly like mm -hmm. you're you're that number one that number or that 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 thing you do is like about to break the top 10 or whatever um so he so that's a good scene and they're just like oh my god we're going to california like that's so great change of plans we are leaving here just as soon as possible where are we going that thing you do is the fastest rising single in the history of the playtone label as of tomorrow morning you wonders you've got the number seven record in the country <gasps>
Michelle. Steak fairs or small potatoes? We are on a plane flying to the coast as long as we make the airport on time. California? Disneyland? I like them recording the the in the church. Yeah, Chris Isaac as the Yeah, I wanna I wanna do a best cameo section. Okay. because there's so many There's so many cameos. But Chris Isaac's up there. Yeah, if it it does he was he was just coming off talking about all these people just coming off of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. He was just coming off of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, he was. That was swinging, man. Swinging? Swinging. That's good, right? Swinging's good. I think it was still too fast. We done? Thank you, Uncle Bob. Thank you very, very much. You say hi to your dad for me, man. You got it. Hey, what about all my only dreams? I gotta be in Buffalo at 7 o'clock and report a children's choir. I only got that one take. Hey, Uncle Bob, when are we gonna get these records? Uh, Luke 21, 19. In your patience possess ye your souls. Luke, who's Luke? When are we getting the records? Wednesday. So on set life, before filming began, the movie had about a two-month rehearsal process is what it sounds like, specifically with the band moments. All mm. the band members were rehearsing and taking private lessons during that time. Yeah, I was about to say, did Tom Everett Scott have never previous... played never played drums before never he's, i mean drums are hard to fake like everything else yeah. you can kind of fake but drums you can't and he they they don't really get let him cheat it at all either yeah tom everett scott had never played drums before he was like yeah thank god for those like two months of rehearsal because i had no clue uh the actors were told they need to learn how to play so that they could play the songs in wide shots and not cut around their playing and mm -hmm. i think they rehearsed instruments five to six hours a day however they were still dubbed um <laughs> but they wanted like they didn't want to fake it it won they wanted to look right it's like you have they said well, you have to be on all the time uh all the actors talked about how uh how important that rehearsal process was especially how much information hanks had on each individual character ethan Embry said in an interview last year with variety that he used his own process as an actor with deep character dives because he knew the answer to everything Every little character had a story. You knew where they were coming from, and you knew where they were going. Even though the film takes place in Erie, PA at the beginning, a lot of the film, a lot of those Erie scenes were shot in Orange, California, in Orange County. Um, they had shoot some Pennsylvania scenes, though. Uh, so exhausted from working on the film sometimes, 18 to 20 hours a day, at one point, Hanks didn't even recognize his wife, who played a cocktail waitress in the movie. He goes, the morning I, sh she says, the morning I showed up at this, or he says, the morning I showed up at the set with a huge, huge cup of ice and Gatorade, I was so tired by then that I didn't know it was my wife. I thought, she's a very attractive lady, and I hope she's going to be nice to me. And it was his wife, Rita Wilson. Um, I think I read that a, a lot of the fairground scenes were all shot like the same location. They just changed things around so I didn't have to go to multiple oh, cities. Sure. That's, that's entirely believable. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about fairs is they ju they're just set up the same way yep. every town. Every time, to. yeah. And so, uh, and then for the LA scenes, they shot a variety of landmarks, including including Disneyland, which is it's kind of yeah, shocking. Yeah, on the Matterhorn. Yeah, it's kind of shocking watching it now. Of like, wow, they were able to do that at that at that point. Um, uh, for the final Hollywood showcase, the film was shot on the Price's Rice Price's Right soundstage. You said this was a you said this was a Fox movie, right? It was. You think you think the, the Fox people when they were on on the set at, at Disneyland they were looking around like 
one of these days one of these days they're gonna own us that that simpson that simpsons meme that's just like haha i'm in danger <laughs> um and for the hotel scenes the film was shot at the ambassador hotel which would later become famous or infamous rather for being the place where robert kennedy was assassinated um mm. yeah there's an interesting tone going off that there's an interesting tone where like it takes place in the 60s but it's really trying to capture because it takes place in 1964 it's trying to capture i mean jfk has just been assassinated in the 63 and so it's that last kind of year or so when like america's somewhat innocent maybe if that makes mm-hmm. sense before really things begin begin to go up in turmoil for the latter yeah, half the, of the 60s the like teenage rock and roll at that point was cool without being transgressive yes exactly exactly so it's it's really capturing the last moment of a specific era which isn't really discussed in the movie i mean it couldn't be but it's not like tom hanks is banging over the head like this is the last time so it's a very it's a very subtle way of doing it um but it shows that hanks was very again very aware of the era very aware of the detail of the era Mm-hmm. so aftermath the film was released on october 4th 1996 and it was a modest success but not on par with the re- rest of hanks's run it debuted third at the opening weekend box office with can you guess how much it made the opening weekend 50k no it, ma- it made more than that it was 6.2 million oh behind the opening weekend opening weekend 6.2 wow, million okay. uh behind it was third behind the first wives club Oh, yeah, yeah. And the Glimmer Man. I have no idea what that is. Yeah, Steven Seagal. That's what I was like. It's Steven Seagal and Keen, and Keen Averwains. Um, uh, yeah, First Wives Club, got to say, another cable staple it is. in the early 2000s. Oh, my gosh. I was back home. My mom's listening to this, I know. Um, my mom had First Wives Club on probably five times since I was back when I was back home over the holidays. <laughs> it was on, and not just my mom, my dad too. Both of them had it on yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's that's another one. My dad, my dad. There's there's several movies where when they're on TV, my dad's like, I just got put onto this one scene, and it's usually like a musical scene. Yeah. Like he's always like, I got to put it on until they sing. You don't know me. If if you're if if you're flipping channels, I'll tell you this much. I'll tell you this much about my father. If you're flipping channels. <laughs> If you are flipping channels and my best friend's wedding is on, you better believe it is staying on until the say a little prayer for you scene happens. <laughs> there is no no change in the channel at that point. The film, however, was ahead of D3 to Mighty Ducks, the box office that weekend. Oh, okay. So rele- okay. Ha- hashtag relevancy. Um, the film, however, was a critical success. Many people complimenting its light, sweet tone and the innocent 60s vibe and the kind of attention to detail, as we said. Uh, Roger Ebert, good old Raj, gave the film three out of four stars, saying the movie may be inconsequential, but in some ways that's a strength. Without ha- hauling a lot of deep meanings, it remembers with great warmth a time and a place. Uh, the film would finish up its box office run, however, with only three hundred. Three, I'm sorry, with only thirty-four point six million dollars against its budget of twenty-six million, so only eight million over the budget. So. With marketing him, I'm not sure how much it made, but probably made money in the soundtrack and other things. Yeah. Uh, the title song received solid success, as we talked about. Uh, it peaked at number 41 on the Billboard Hot 100, but it also peaked at 18 on the Adult adult Top 40, 22 on the Adult Contemporary Charts, and 24 on the Top 40 Mainstream Charts. Charts. Hmm. So many charts. Uh, it also did fairly well abroad, appearing on the charts in Australia, UK, and Canada, 
The song was also nominated for a Golden Globe and Academy Award for Best Original Song. Can you guess what it lost to? Was this 96? 96. It's not going to be. I don't know if you're out your own guess. It's, it's a okay. musical. I, I, I will say, I will say I just watched a YouTube supercut of every okay. best original song winner. Then tell me. Time. Then tell me. What is it? 1996. It was a musical, you said. Uh, yeah, I don't know. A musical I've never seen, uh, but was a Broadway musical. You Must Love Me from Evita by Andrew oh, Lloyd yep. Webber yep. and Tim Rice. That was a year after You've Got a Friend in Me. Um, yes. Right. So were the Oscars wrong? Should have gone with? Yes. Yes. Oscars wrong. <laughs> I feel like just by legacy alone, like this one, this one wins. This one I, I this this is a, a very specific to my location uh uh anecdote but i shop at Publix. it's a grocery store in the southeast <laughs> people might not be aware of that but um all Publixes have a set playlist that they play the entire time you're in there and that thing you do is on it and yeah. so i hear it all the time when i go to the grocery store and i'm so curious about who set this playlist because there's also a song from like my favorite artist of all time, Frank Turner, who's like a British folk singer songwriter. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, who out there was putting this playlist together and was like, I got to get a little bit of this. that thing you do. I got to get a little bit of this obscure British uh, folk singer. <laughs> <laughs> I got to mix it all together. Yeah, I read they're talking about like Tom Everett Scott and then on the interview, they're just like, yeah, like I, every time I go to the Ralphs in L.A., I just hear that thing you do playing on the radio. <laughs> So it's it's a big supermarket staple for the past 25 years. It's peppy. It's yeah. peppy. It gets you going. Uh, so regarding the vocals in the album, I said singer Mike Viola, lead singer of the Candy Butchers, was upset because he did not receive proper credit for his lead vocals on the film. He was credited as additional vocals on the film sound, soundtrack mm. in order to protect the illusion that it was the real guys. Uh, the four members of the Wonders, after the film's release, did a tour in japan uh playing multiple cities i said that was the last okay. time they, that's the last time they were all together before that zoom reunion well um we'll we'll find out in a few weeks but there was also a, a tour for walk hard oh really there yeah. was a dewey there was a dewey cox nationwide tour interesting is that a side thing they're like we gotta promote the movie let's go on tour <laughs> yeah they did it they did it there's a there's a great i mean we'll get into this obviously there's a great oral history of how it was like three years of work going yeah. into this and they did a, a nationwide tour before the movie came out yeah. as promotion um and then everyone thought it was going to be this gigantic hit and unfortunately it, it was not did sadly. not do well but it has slowly been recognized for the work of genius that it is <laughs> um so it's now 25 years later after the film's release it's the 25th anniversary this year and it has since developed a strong cult following uh me being one of its members um <laughs> some might attribute that to that thing you do this is actually the script being a staple on supermarket pa systems across the country <laughs> <laughs> but also it's many cable viewings also helped the exposure of the film these past two dec two and a half decades um uh, there have also been a few reunions but the most complete one was last year at the beginning of the pandemic when scott sheck Embry and Zahn reunited for the first time for a Zoom watch along. They were also also joined by Giovanni Ribisi, Ribisi and Colin Hanks for portions of it. Colin Hanks is on there a lot. He came in a little bit late later, but he was on there most of the time. Giovanni Ribisi hopped on was just like, so are people watching us right now? It was just like he was so like <laughs> didn't know like what was going on. He goes, well, I'm not watching the movie. Uh, 
so what's happening <laughs> he's just like sitting on his couch like i heard you were doing it um but yeah they did it he's like hey guys where's our where's our suburb suburbia yeah. watch along reunion <laughs> what's going on son um yeah so they did it because they talked about doing it because tom hanks and rita wilson had recently contracted COVID 19 and they were two of the first celebrities to go public with their diagnosis um but also it was d- done to honor songwriter adam schlesinger who had passed away on april 1st 2020 due to complications from COVID 19 uh, and they had done a reunion in order to raise money for the nonprofit Music Cares, um, which is happening around that time. It's re- it's really kind of odd, not odd, but like watching that Zoom watch party kind of before they became a big thing. Does that make sense? Because like mm-hmm. they're like everyone that they, they stop at the beginning to clap for all the the medical workers, which was a, which was a big thing that was happening at the beginning of COVID at a specific time of day. Um, so it's it's an interesting like kind of time capsule. Um, but yeah, and this year, many people are beginning to celebrate the film's 25th anniversary. Most recently, it was announced the film's soundtrack had finally gone platinum. Wow. <laughs> That's not the, uh, the fast rising, uh, record that hey, they set man, with it. It went movie. platinum. Who cares? They're, 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 <laughs> they're wonders. Uh, so that's it. That's, that's the aftermath. So let's, so Thomas, let's go into this. Uh, what worked about the movie? The song. <laughs> 100%. I cannot emphasize what a failure of a movie this would be if you rolled your eyes every time that song started. Not just, I mean, story-wise, yeah, you have to you have to believe that they would hit like and 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 there's, you know, there's some times that's not that's not the case in some movies. Yeah. <laughs> Got to say. But uh, but story-wise, it has to be believable that that they took off the way they did, but also just the fact that because this this movie is almost more the story of a song than it is the story of a band. Yeah. Obviously the title of the movie is the song, but it, it's yeah. really about a one hit wonder. And, and because of that, the songs played, like I said, I think a dozen times. Yeah. yeah I think it was a dozen, dozen times. So if that song didn't work, the movie is just a complete failure. I agree. I agree. Um, completely. And the cast, you know, they've got great chemistry. They're all really likable. Hanks is great in that role. It's, mm-hmm. I think it was really smart of him to write something where he could take on a supporting role. Yeah. Um, especially at the like height of his power. Uh, um, Liv Tyler is fantastic. She was just like such a powerhouse from like Empire Records immediately. Everybody's like, oh, wow. You know, yeah. this, this isn't one of those cases where people are just giving her work because of her father. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's, she'd been, I mean, she'd popped up in Aerosmith videos at that point. Uh, but yeah, then it's it's Empire Records, this, and then I guess uh, Armageddon's a few years later that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I I also the tone, like the period he's able to capture. I, and also, I, I kind of love this like scrappy feeling the movie has now, or at least to me now when looking in like how it was made, because it just feels like, I mean, look at the cast and the crew. It feels like Hanks is just putting it all on the table. And calling in all of his mm. old buddies and either uh uh getting the favors he was promised or uh uh allow, or or giving out the favors that he promised someone else, um, which we'll mm-hmm. I'll come into a little bit later. Um so yeah, did anything also the rest of the songs also worked, by the way. I like a lot of the songs in the movie. I know that thing you do is the big one, 
but I like a lot of the songs in the film because I'll go into this in film facts, but like they're all created for the movie. It's like every song mm. you hear is an original song. Uh, even on the, like just the, the, the background radio music. Um, did anything not work? Yeah. I mean, I, I already touched on a little bit, but I, the, the third act just kind of falls apart for me. I think, I don't know. I think either, I think the film is, is great as this like snapshot like this is just it's almost like a it's almost like a like a fake documentary like it's just like this here's the story of this band that blows up and i would almost be rather it in like that as well like i'm I'm having a good time watching that just give me the facts of like what happened to them at the end or lean a little bit more into the drama and the characterization and the character arcs Mm -hmm. but the where it kind of hits this middle ground where i'm like i yeah okay that's fair it's very it, it, it it's easily digestible if that makes sense like this is why i can just yeah. put on and not have to really think about it and mm. it, so that's why it's like yeah the character arcs could have been a little bit stronger um i have two big things which i'm surprised weren't brought up and it's more just the tropes that are used these two tropes that are used yes shy stan's annoying girlfriend trope oh absolutely 100 percent. uh i will say this to hanks's credit I don't think she was intended to be fully like that because when you watch the director's cut, which if you're intrigued by how to about pacing in movies, it'd be interesting to watch and see what they cut because she had a lot more scenes in the director's cut and you see Mm -hmm. a lot more of like the romance of her and Tom Everett Scott. Like the big thing is that she's the one that like calls him Spartacus. So that's why he's always using it. And, like, he would say, like, I am Spartacus to her as a way to, like, kind of, like, essentially turn her on is what it is. Like, when they're making out, that's what he would say. Because mm-hmm. um, it would show her um, when he's... That's why he's at the at night at the basement or, in like, in the basement playing drums. He's waiting for her to show up so they can, like, make out, basically, and hang out together. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, because, I mean right now she just kind of feels like something else he needs that is like keeping him from yeah music you know because like the first time you see her it's the like how long does this last um it's the uh her not like her like kind of jealous of Faye, her um essentially not caring when he calls her her like basically falling for the dentist all of a sudden when there was more in there uh in the in the in the longer cut about like right how that fell apart the other other thing is the the magical uh black man or magical negro is the is the the term that is used for the character trope yeah with with bill cobbs who is del paxton and and then also lamar oba i apologize for butchering this name oba babatude uh who plays lamar the i I guess the uh, bellhop at the ambassador mm-hmm. hotel and both men are kind of used as mentors for a uh, guy and some, they're usually giving him the push. Cause that for those who don't know this kind of trope, it's usually a character who is, who is a person of color, a, a black man or a black woman. And sometimes they have some sort of like supernatural or kind of magical quality but also it could just be they help the white character yeah realize their potential they exist only to set up 
a white character for a success. Yes. I think I think Legend of Bagger Vance is like the one that you can point to kind of the most often. Yeah, Spike Lee talked about this in like a tour at one point, kind of talking about the movies that were still being used in the late nineties. Late nineties, like that, and like uh I think Green Mile was even listed as one. Um, but several and this what really pushes this one over into it, it's the ending of the movie when yeah. Lamar winks at camera. And there's a <laughs> there's a reason for that, apparently. Apparently there was even more. Uh apparently, which has never been shown except the test screening. Apparently he, instead of just the wink to camera and the movie ends, he actually walked to camera and told the audience what happened to the wonders. That's why they replaced the title cards. The end of like, uh, Faye and, and guy like opened up a music, uh, 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 school or Jimmy's now a producer and had the band called the herdsman. So apparently he was going to be telling everyone that, and they did the test audience. They're just like, what's going on? Like, this hasn't happened the rest yeah, of the movie. No, I don't like that. That yeah. sounds that sounds like Uncle Remus. Yeah. So, like, it would have... It, it didn't work. And so they... And it's still there on the surface. Because Dell's the one, like, giving Guy, like, the, like, oh, that's... Uh, that's oh, we've been together for two months. That's two months too long, or whatever he says about the band being together. Like, Dell's kind of this voice of wisdom for Guy. And it is a trope and yeah. it needed to be brought up alternate universe cast. There isn't much in terms of other people for the roles. Couldn't find anything. The only thing I did find out was that Tom Everett Scott was almost not cast in the film because Hanks thought he looked too much like a younger Tom Hanks. I could definitely, I thought that was the point. <laughs> yeah. And Rita Wilson said, I think you should cast him because he's cute. So I think you should cast him so I can hit on him. And yeah. That's, and that's and that scene like... as Marguerite. All right, film facts. A bunch of these. I'm gonna try to get. I might not go through all of them. Uh, the name for Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters came from two of Hanks's favorite restaurants in South Carolina, which is where he was filming Forrest Gump for a time. Mm-hmm, Captain mm-hmm. Geach's. You can tell me if these are real places or real locations, uh, Thomas. Captain Geach's on Lady Island, which is now closed. I don't know that one lady island south carolina yeah and then the shrimp shack on saint helena island which is still open um yeah that's down that's down near beaufort now there near the georgia border which is which is where he was shooting at for forrest gump around that or some of that points um so there's a little south carolina uh tidbits for you there uh according to ethan embry the bass player's real name is tobias oh Tobias player. Yeah. Tobias player. Tobias. If you say it, if you say, you know, it does kind of sound like you're saying Tobias player. Tobias player. player. I think that was Ethan Embry. Like I, I'm going to have this for me just so I know what my name is. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, Bus and buddies reunion, which was where Hank's guys first kind of big start in TV or within TV with, uh, has a reunion in this movie with Pierre Scolari as the host, the Hollywood showcase, Mm -hmm. Troy, Troy Chesterfield, I think it's it's not. I think it's said it's not a he's not a weekly host. He's a uh, he's yeah. Not, uh, he's, they say he's like the guest host. He's the guest something. host. That's kind of a big thing at that point where they bring in some star to guest host the show. Um. So yeah. Uh. As I said, there are zero songs from the 1960s in this film. Apparently, it was too expensive for them to even license obscure B sides. So Hanks decided to create all original songs. Uh. He co-wrote 
helped Hanks co-wrote four songs in the movie or wrote co-wrote or wrote four songs in the movie. He also, I think wrote the drum solo. I am Spartacus that, that, that guy does the end of the movie. Um, Hank said another reason why he didn't use actual music was because he felt Forrest Gump had already done it, uh, done it well enough. Yeah, that's true. Well, I I think it just kind of takes away from their experience. If you're, if you've got needle drops of like other bands that are better. Yeah. And you, (laughs) yeah. And you, and you, when they're going the billboard, you'll see like other bands that they're recognizable at that point. Um, also, uh, going off the billboard thing. Do you know how high that thing you do went? On the billboard? Yeah, on the billboard charts. Uh, seven? Two. That's where it ended two. up peaking at. Was it two? Wow. Uh, also, what happened afterwards in, in movie world, uh, Mr. White was later promoted to president of the Playtone label. Good for him. Congrats. Speaking of Playtone, and, and Jimmy became a producer for the Playtone label, is what it was. Um, famously, Hanks named his production company Playtone after this film's fictional label. Shai Theron future oscar winner played the role of tina in that thing you do uh it was only her second credited on-screen role after she finished the audition hank said she's got it that girl's gonna be somebody in her script that he gave her hanks wrote no matter what i will always claim to have discovered you (laughs) so uh as we said a lot of cameos in this in this movie uh chris isaac's uncle bob kevin pollock boss vic costs uh, Rita Wilson, Hanks's wife, also Colin Hanks as the usher who leads Liv, Liv Tyler up the steps of the showcase. No, no Chet though. Where's, no Chet. Where's Chet no Chet. His, his daughter Elizabeth Hanks is also in the movie as a, as a person in a how, dress shop. Wait, how old was Chet at this point? <laughs> no, Chet was Chet was six. What? Well, yeah. Well, who, it, maybe he might have been like a, a like walking on the on the streets of Erie, PA. They like, really should have had him in that beach party scene so he could say it's a white boy summer. <laughs> oh man, missed opportunities. Um Paul Feig is also in the movie as a radio announcer. Um as is Clint mm-hmm. Howard, who had starred in Apollo who was who had a, a a part in Apollo 13 with with Tom Hanks. Uh Tracy Reiner, who is in a League of Their Own and Apollo 13 as well. She plays I think the uh the uh Anita the Annette's ripoff of the beach party. Um, and then Brian Cranston plays Gris- Gus Grissom. Very brief. Very, very brief. brief. And not big yet. Not big yet. Oh, I was going to tell you, you haven't even, you haven't hit on my favorite one yet. Oh God. Uh, wh- I don't your- know if this counts as a cameo. Cause he's, uh, I, don't, I don't, I don't know that he was famous, but he's uh, been in a, in a film we've covered on the podcast. Oh God. We've covered a lot of movie- movies, Thomas got the most scenes out of any of the 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 guest roles sean whalen oh god you're right yeah from people under the stairs on the stairs and was in batman returns right he was in batman returns the newspaper mm-hmm. guy yeah you're right he's yeah. the he's their number one fan he's the one that's like play that thing play you that do. thing they do we can't dance hey guys with- i want to buy a record <laughs> or it's like we want to want to meet girls and dance we can't meet girls and dance so you play the song yeah at Villapiano's, uh, yeah, Sean Whalen, uh, is also in it. Just for that, just for like, it's the the da- the well, town. He's, he's he's got that last. He's got like three scenes. He's also got that scene when they like rebrand to the one dash ders. He's like, is this the Oneaters? And she's like, it's the Wonders. And he's like, does it have that thing you do on it? And she's like, yeah. He's like, that's all I care about. <laughs> awesome. Uh, one person I want to bring up, Holmes Osborne, 
who plays Mr. Patterson, Guy's father who owns the appliance store. Hanks had mm-hmm. done plays with Osborne at the Great Lakes Shakespeare Festival in the 1970s. Before that thing you do, Osborne had only eight credits to his name in the 20 years since working with Hanks at the Shakespeare Festival. So not a, I guess, not really a successful actor. He was probably doing theater somewhere, I, I assume. And I think Hanks had promised him, if I ever make a movie, I'll cast you in it. And he did. And since the film's release, uh, Holmes Osborne has had 91 uh, additional credits. So he's had 100 credits to his name now after being cast in That Thing You Do. Nice. A lot of Beatles references throughout the movie that I will not go into. Just just know there were a lot of Beatles reference. Specifically how, how like, uh, Guy kind of mirrors Ringo Starr coming in as the new drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think how Please Please Me, I think it was Please Please Me, was a slowed down ballad originally, and they sped it up when they recorded the, 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 their album, which is the kind of thing with that thing you do. Again, very detailed um in terms of the the 60s music culture and they make a few references to the beatles uh also a lot of space references uh i think there's a band called Marilyn lovell and the gemini's is like on mm. the on the pittsburgh uh marquee at one point and that's as a reference to jim lovell uh and i think his wife's name in apollo 13 last thing there are a couple covers for that thing you do one of them being by nsync as part of their concert, apparently. Apparently, that video I sent you was from a pay-per-view concert in 1999. Three years later, of that of the NSYNC band member or the NSYNC group members playing instruments, J.C. Chazé playing uh, or singing lead, Joey Fatone playing drums, Lance Bass playing piano or the keyboard, uh, Justin Timberlake playing bass. Rarely show Timberlake. They rarely show Timberlake in that video. No. And then the other guy as the guitar player. Chris. Whoa, I can't believe you just called can't believe you just called Chris Kirkpatrick. I'm I'm a I'm a Backstreet Boys guy. I'm not even an, an NSYNC guy. I am a Backstreet Boys. I can't Boys believe guy. you just called Chris Kirkpatrick. Uh Chris Chip, Kirkpatrick. Chip Skylark himself. I'll leave that in. Uh they did covers of it. Oh, okay, last thing too about the changes of the movie, because they're all available. I want you guys to know what happens. Uh I told you about the ending. Also, in the director's cut, the different ending for Guy. Guy stays in LA at the end of the film in the theatrical version uh, just to kind of just make it work. And the director's cut, after he jams with Del Paxton, he records a long interview with Del and his bandmates. And Guy then takes it to Clint Howard, that jazz radio announcer that he was he befriended early on. And Guy is hired as a DJ for the radio. And that's why he stays in hmm. LA. Um, there are more scenes, the wonders rise in the ranks scenes, the Pittsburgh concert, um, the director's cut again, talking about pace, Mr. White does not show up till an hour into the movie in the director's cut pretty late. Let's see. Original script. According to Colin Hanks, start off the wonders playing in a summer church camp, which is why they record their, the record at a church. That was one of the things that was left over at the, in the final version of the movie. Uh, and the big reveal in the director's cut is that Mr. White is actually gay and has a boyfriend played by Howie Long. Well, and that's another Beatles reference. Brian, um, yeah. As Brian Epstein, their manager was, was famously, uh, closeted because it was yep. still illegal to be out in England. Um, uh, story questions. 
do they ever see each other again i mean it sounds like the way they set it up it sounds like jimmy and mr white have to see each other again yeah. which is which is the two that you'd least expect to uh you'd see again i feel like i feel like i feel like uh guy and um mr white like hang out like go go get drinks sometimes yeah i think they're in la i just thought they all i thought they would I think I think Guy and, and Faye went out and visited uh, Lenny. At some oh, point. most definitely, they definitely went to Vegas to see Lenny. But nobody saw TB again. No one nobody saw, saw TB Tobias. again. TB's down in Orlando, uh, being a contractor. Um, after here's he, my at, question. Yeah, yeah. Does Chad marry Guy's sister? I wondered that too. A little bit of chemistry there. A little bit of chemistry. That's why I always. That's why I always thought. I've always Does thought Chad they becomes got the, the dutiful uh, uh, appliance selling son that this so. guy's father always I th- wanted. I think that's what it is. Cause I think, I think like, I think the kind of um, when they're all watching the Hollywood showcase together, kind of just shows that that like, he's kind of become part of the family now and he's the appliance son. He's, I think he's going to marry the daughter. I, I totally think that I know the answer to this. I'm pretty sure it's that. So TB ends up in Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. He definitely. I mean, yeah, he ends up in Vietnam. That's not really a question; it's just a statement. What? What? What's some stuff? He, I mean, he probably sees some crazy stuff over there when he's in Wonder Vietnam. Wonder if he ran into Forrest. Ooh, I don't know. I love this. I love this idea of like a Vietnam movie cinematic universe. <laughs> well, it's like it's 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 TB, it's Forrest, it's uh, it's Toad from American Graffiti, uh, mm-hmm. who goes who goes AWOL. Again, that movie that ends with with cards with title cards to get to tell you what happened to people. Um, yeah, there's a cinematic universe. <laughs> oh gosh, now I'm just saying like all the movies you think of Vietnam, like put them all in the same. Do you yeah, think? Just think of think of TB like running into um, uh, Kurtz from. Apocalypse That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, 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 he's just like this guy's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what other thing? Do you think so? It's a one hit wonder. Do you think that song has a lasting impact in any way? Yeah, people still listen to it in the, within the supermarket. <laughs> within the within the, the story of the film, people still hear it when they go to Publix. Yeah. All right, let's go to awards. Um, we'll start off with this one for this for this special month, the Paul Williams Music Award. Hey, your favorite song in the movie? <laughs> um, I'm really gonna go with with Mr. Midnight or um, whatever that's Mr. Downtown, called. sir. Mr. Downtown. Yeah, Mr. Downtown. From um from Zach and Cody's father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can debate this later on, but I think there's I, I I I think it's pretty straightforward for this episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna toss one in though, because there's one I really love that it's underappreciated. Brandon, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just gonna say this one. I'm a big fan of Dance Me Tonight. That's all I gotta say. I'm a big fan of Dance Me Tonight. Is the name of the movie Dance With Me Tonight? I'm not saying it's the best song, but I want to speak clear. Okay. It, it okay. is the second best song by far in the movie. Okay. That's not the name of the category, is it? <laughs> I will say I listen to that one probably more, I gotta say. Come on! to add this award for cameo the matt damon cameo award hey i like that 
<laughs> who is who is your cameo? Is it Sean Whalen? Is that who you're going with, or is that Beatrice Strait? I don't know if that counts as a cameo, but I do love him. He's I great. Think He's it needs, I think it this. needs to be one scene. One scene for the cameo. It needs to be someone and someone who is already famous. Um, uh, yeah, I would say probably someone's already famous. In that case, Chris Isaac. I think I love. Yeah. I think that 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 joke has kind of gotten lost. Is no offense to Chris Isaac because he's <laughs> not maybe the household name he used to be, but I do love. I, I think it's a very purposeful joke. Yeah. For them to be like, oh, my uncle who like records church sermons, and then they cut and it's Chris Isaac. Like, <laughs> that's just not the kind of you know. Yeah. You, you watch the uh, Wicked Game music video, and you're not thinking yeah. he's someone who works recording church, church music. <laughs> So I'll go Chris Isaac, Matt Damon, Cam- or the Matt Damon Cameo Award. The Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actress, limited, scene- limited scenes that kills it. Mm, limited scenes. I might might go Charlize. That's what I'm thinking, too. That's um, my that's my vote. Yeah. Charlize Theron. Yeah, it's definitely a superstar performance. You, you go back and watch it now, and you're like, oh, she was already like fully yeah. formed Charlize Theron at, at this point, but she wasn't. Yeah, no, she and she's great. And, and again, for the few scenes she's in like she has a I, I i would say for the director's cut which i i think it's just a much longer version and probably it, it hurts the pace but just to see more of her in it um is really great i know she did i think it was even ask her after she won the won her oscar on the early dvd she did like a a reunion with some of the guys hmm. is what it was and like talked about the movie because it's and, and she also i mean she also uh was the person who introduced Tom Hanks at the Golden Globes uh, a few years ago for the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Award. Oh, nice. Um, and she talked about him casting her in this movie. Oh, I can't believe I missed it. Well, it played three times this afternoon. So you said. But it's not like I haven't heard your song, guy. I have. You know what? There's a big rock and roll show this weekend in Pittsburgh. Guess who's playing? Oh, this weekend. You will not believe what I have to do. I'm getting the crown replaced on my number 15 molar. It's it's going to take like all day tomorrow with the dentist. Okay, Annie Potts X Factor Award. Sporting actor, actress that is the most memorable. You know who I'm picking. I do know who you're picking and I'm, I'm not going to agree with you on this one. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think he's great. I think Steve Zahn is great. Yeah, he is. He's but I think I think Liv Tyler is the heart and soul of of the Oneaters. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I think I don't think they would have made it as far as they did without Faye. And I think I agree with that. I, I love the energy that Liv Tyler brings to this movie. She is great. I'm not going to deny that. But it's Steve Zahn. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's fantastic. He's a lot of fun. He really is. I just want my argument to be that. That's no. Um, yeah, I like Liv Tyler. I think for someone who, being as she's not a part of the band, uh, not part of the like the four instrument playing band members, mm-hmm. she is a part of the group in a in, in a great way. Like she 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 she's able to kind of her importance is about the same as any, I mean, she, I mean, she's more important than TV, sadly. Um, like she's, she's a very important player in all of this. So I, I get that, but yeah, I just, I, Steve's on for me. I said, we'll just disagree on this one. It'll be Annie Potts co X factor. Whereas I think Zahn just, 
his comedy chops really pushed the movie forward. And that's the lines that I always remember the most of Steve Zahn in this movie. Mm-hmm. And Liv Tyler, you might be right, has a better energy, this warm energy around her that kind of just like, that matches the tone of the film. Jimmy. From now on, you stay away from me. I have wasted thousands and thousands of kisses on you. Kisses that I thought were special because of your your lips and your smile and all your color in life. I used to think that was the real you when you smiled. But now I know that you don't mean any of it. You just save it for all your songs. for kissing you with my eyes closed so tight all right gene hackman mvp award the person who carries the movie director actor etc i think it's no debate here right hanks (laughs) it's tom hanks i think just sheer willpower pushes this movie to the finish line in every way shape or form from his acting i think from his choice of crew that being a first time first time feature director because he had directed i think tv a little tv i think he directed one episode of that tv series fallen angels about the neo-noir uh stories um so he had great people in in his camp and so he had a great editor who could kind of help control the pace and i think he had a great dp that had that helped kind of create the look of it as well as the costume design with colleen atwood I think with Demi and Gitzman and Saxon, three kind of loyal producers that helped push him along the way. I just, I think he, he had all that, but he was able to kind of uh, assemble all that and also put his passion and love for this era into a movie. Like mm-hmm. it really is. If, if he didn't do Larry crown, it would be a very interesting, like one time, like director movie and i don't hate mm-hmm. larry larry crown by the way my dad loves larry crown side story very side story i don't know how i don't know how i care about this but i rem- not to i don't want to embarrass my dad he doesn't listen it's okay my mom will um my dad was in la <laughs> my dad was in la one time him. my dad was in la one time it's okay he i've told this story before uh to him and i or the friends and he knows it uh, but just kind of the difference from my dad and me in terms of movies is that we're at RIP Hollywood 101 uh, Coffee Shop 101 in, in LA uh, that closed during the pandemic where I took my dad there because uh, I always like going there with my favorite places and I was like yeah usually you'll see kind of a famous person here and we're sitting there and I see Remy Malik walk in the door with uh with his girlfriend and I'm like oh god it's Remy Malik and it's like pre it's Bohemian Rhapsody's trailer has come out movie hasn't come out but Mr. Robot's big like I'm like oh my god that's Remy Malik. and I was like hey dad there's Remy Malik behind you he's like who is that and I was like okay he hasn't seen Mr. Robot and I said well he's playing Freddie Mercury in the new Queen biopic and nothing not, there's not a light bulb going off my head and my dad's head and I go he's that guy in Larry Crown that is the classmate that is a little confused of why he's in speech class he goes oh he's really good <laughs> See if I had to this this would be a wonderful this would be a wonderful game, game show is like how do you 
how do you describe an actor to your parents i would have gone obviously with the pharaoh from night Night at the museum Museum. yeah Yeah. i i don't think my dad seen that movie oh i I think he's seen the first one your dad should watch night at the museum that's a delightful movie i know i mean i saw it in theaters together um (laughs) that's all i can think of but i think i might have got because once i could drive i went to the movies by myself a lot is what it was so or with friends so i only went to the movies that much at that point but i can't remember I couldn't drive, so we must have gone to see it. But anyway, that was... But I knew he loved Larry Crown. Like, he watched it constantly. And I saw Larry Crown in theaters. Also, side thing. So I'm a, I'm a Hanks. Whatever you're doing, I'll go see in theaters at that point in time. I don't know. I mean, we're, or, we're, or on Apple TV+. Apple Plus. TV+, Plus, yeah. But Tom Hanks, that was a big tangent. I think Tom Hanks, Gene Hammond, MVP Award winner next this wonders with the o-n-e it doesn't work it's confusing from now on you boys will just be simply the wonders as in i wonder what happened to the oneaters that's right playton will release the record nationally but you'll be doing an awful lot of promoting as we go so be prepared all my only dreams is on the b side mm-hmm. uh we only got one take of that when we did at the church yeah. maybe we can re-record that I don't think so. I think it's great, just the way it is. We are going to get you some new clothes, matching suits, nice suits, nice, because you are nice boys. Yeah. Except maybe for you. When do we cut our next record? Touring is the priority, um, Jimmy. We're going to meet up with the rest of the Playtone gang in Columbus as soon as possible. We'll be out on the road with them until Labor Day. All right, final questions. So what do you want to do here? Do you want to do remade in present day or 1960s? What do you have? Pro- I think 1960s. I, I, I thought okay. hard about it. I don't think it, I don't think you could remake this movie. Because one, I don't think anyone would want to see it take place in the 60s. And if you make it anytime after the 60s, it can't not be cynical. Yeah, you're correct. I, I was like, you. okay, what if we did this in the 90s? But there's absolutely no way you could make a movie about like a one-hit wonder it in the beca- 90s and like yeah. not be cynical about it in it, any it way. becomes like, josie and the pussycats is what i think it comes, yeah becomes. that's true yeah. that's true or, or it becomes my eventual tramp stamps uh movie <laughs> that i'm working on okay so 1960s who do you cast oh well then i was not i wasn't prepared for this to happen the beatles <laughs> they just cast the beatles <laughs> who would you have down who or who would you <laughs> Who were you thinking? Did you have anyone down for this? Ultra- I, well, I, was, I really, re- I really, really tried to make it happen in the 90s. And I, I was like, is it going to be like a boy band? Is it going to be grunge? Like, I just don't know. I, 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 I thought a lot about when you would when you would set this. OK, well, 60s. OK. OK. Kurt Russell. How old is Kurt Russell at this point? I mean, he was on his like Disney contract, right? Yeah. I mean, are we doing 64 or are we doing a little bit later? Maybe a little bit later. You can do a little later. He, 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 I want teenage. He, I want the computer that wore ten, ten, What is it? The computer that wore tennis shoes. I want that. Yeah. Let's say like six, he's Russell. doing like, it's like 69. He's doing like 69. So he's 18 years old. Yeah. All right. Uh, I want uh, Kurt Russell for guy. Okay. I would say for Liv, she might be a little bit too older now. Because then she'd be dating a very young Kurt Russell. Annette Funicello for Liv okay i like that that's who i'm thinking that's who it's that one's on my mind for some reason of late you gotta you gotta we gotta work in a little we gotta work suzanne plachette in uh, <laughs> as, a, as a reference to, to her being referenced in uh yeah who who would she play is she would she be uh what's her name diane the 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 one that has the little thing with jim oh diane dane I yeah. can, I, i'll buy that i'll go with that suzanne plachette is diane dane 
All right, let's see. All right, TB. I got TB. Okay, who's TB? How old was Ron Howard at this point? Ron Howard at this point. So he's 69. He was probably 16, 17. He 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 was 15. Oh, okay, no, never mind. You can't pull. Let's that just off. give a general sixties, early seventies okay. vibe here. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, that's that that era of like pop actor is is a blind spot for me. I know. Same. Um, well, when was Ricky Nelson? Ricky, because Ricky Nelson was a musician. I could see Ricky Nelson being um, Jimmy from Ozzy and Harriet. I think Ricky Nelson could be an interesting Jimmy. Hmm. Warren Beatty was around at that point, right? He'd be a solid Jimmy. Oh dang! Now I now I want Natalie Wood for Faye. I like that. All right, here's here's the here's one we we you and I could who's our who's our Mister White? We could easily do that. Okay, Mister White, Carl Malden. Yeah. Or would you do would you do Jimmy Stewart? Is that is that the easy choice of doing a Jimmy Stewart Mister White? All right, all right. Here's one I'm thinking. I gotta, okay. I gotta get his exact age. Jack Lemon. I like Jack Lemon for that. Now I'm thinking Walter Matthau as well. Dang. Um, <laughs> I don't think Walter. I don't think Walter Matthau's like got the slick enough. I think he's just kind of got the. I don't I know, think, man. I think Lemon. I think Lemon could could nail like the little bit of like sliminess that he's got to him, but like still be really endearing. That's fair. I mean, I think Matthau can too, but I, I think you might be right. Lemon is the better one at doing that. So Jack. Okay, so we got Jack Lemon, Mister White. We got Ricky Nelson as Jimmy. We got Kurt Russell as Guy. Uh, we have who, Ron Howard as TB. <laughs> I just who was like who was like really funny out of that group. That, <laughs> I, I just don't know. Unless you, yeah, and, and like awkward funny. Uh, and then we're saying Natalie Wood or Annette for uh for Faye, Suzanne Plachette mm-hmm. as Diane Dane. Who who's who's Steve, who's Steve Zahn? Who's Lenny? Henry Winkler? Would Henry Winkler be a good, uh, be a good? Uh, we're going with the Happy Days theme. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Henry Winkler. I also would say he might be too, too. Nah, he it was too young. But if if Robin Williams was big in the nineteen or late nineteen sixties, which he wasn't, I like. Let's go with Henry Winkler. I think Henry Winkler, yeah. a great a comedian. We'll go with that. That's an interesting band. I don't know how I feel about this band. <laughs> but i will say we just threw a bunch of names together on the fly i like i like the kurt i, I want to see the kurt russell jack lemon yeah. dynamic i think Bing that would be is, a lot of fun you and i were not born in the 60s uh i think we, we weren't okay. i think we did i know okay. i know you know we're just voices and, and you, <laughs> you guys don't really know our biographies but we weren't born about in about 30 years later maybe so me pulling <laughs> I out I literally said at the beginning of this podcast how old i was when when toy story came out uh so me pulling Ricky Nelson out is very I I'm impressed with myself with that. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, but like that that era, this would definitely be that era of like teen beach movies, yeah. which I which is like a blind spot. Yeah, in it's pop like it's yeah, it's it's, a, it's like a Net and Frankie Avalon, uh, those type people is kind of the thing. That's why I'd I literally say kind of I've, I've, I have watched many of the Kurt Russell Disney when he was on the like Lifetime Disney contract. Yeah. So I'm I just familiar I, with yeah. <laughs> the Lifetime Disney contracts. Yes. I did just watch Beach Party with Annette. So that's why I thought Annette could be an interesting face. So she her or Natalie Wood. Big choices there. Um does mm. this film fit with any other genres? Uh, uh <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's a band movie. That's, I mean, that's mu- all it wants mu- to be. Musical maybe? I would say yeah. musical. Um 
Yeah. What would it be a road trip movie? It is no, kind. Yeah. No, showing someone showing someone riding a bike across a map does not count as a road trip. A very Beatles esque sequence. Uh, well, fine. Well, that you see them drive on the bus, right, and getting the billboard, and fine. Well, whatever. They go from Erie to L.A. So music. Uh, yeah, I think it's a it's a rise to fame movie, which transcends you know there's there's other the stars it's a star of, star is born movie basically in, a, yeah. in an odd way um okay now how does this film fit within our genre of fictional band movies i think this is one of the best examples of how important it is to nail the song i yeah. think if you were like yeah. doing like superlatives for you know i don't uh not necessarily ranking them because that's kind of hard to do and and they are very diverse but I think if you were doing superlatives, I think best song yeah. goes to this one. Although yeah. I, there's a lot of bangers coming up we got. Yeah. But, it's, uh, I think in terms of cultural impact, in terms of like it's carried over for 25 years. Yeah. And people yeah. know the song. Like A fake song written to be a pop hit became a pop hit. Became a pop hit. Like we'll talk about with, I think with Walt Card or Almost Famous or even Joe's and the Pussycats, all great soundtracks but something about this one just is kind of like it transcended. Uh, you know, it's funny. I just realized there, there are songs from all four of those movies that I still listen to on same. a regular basis. Same. The, the tropes. So it does have like the, has the travel, uh, travel montage, the rise to fame with the billboard chart, the touring, all that. And like well, I said, kind of slimy record label exec, even though Mr. White is probably presented a little bit more favorably than most of them will be, but that's definitely a trope that we'll see. Many oh yeah. Times. Yeah. The kind of man, yeah. The manager. I mean, that was the big thing about stars when we talked about was like the, the, that, that trope was still there of like the kind of like <laughs> guy, slimy man. I love that movie, but that guy was like, that guy was in a different movie, different film, different film completely. Well, all right. Is that on that thing you do, Thomas? I think so. We legally we can't play out the song, but you should just cue up. Yeah, that thing you do. Yeah, for for after this. Yeah, it should be great. Um, so that's all we have. Make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you write us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on. Yeah, guys, anything you can do to uh, spread the word, get us out there. We want to have we want to have a montage like the Oneaters where <laughs> we just blow up and we go to the we go on tour with all of our favorite podcasters and uh we're just making total fools of ourselves you want to where like when we do our first live show and we're trying to leave it's like us it's like them getting into the car at the end of the, like when they find out they're in the top yeah. 10 building. put on the shades <laughs> yeah who's the shades guy you or me yeah you guys don't know this but brandon and i both wear sunglasses the entire time we're recording <laughs> Throw, throwback for real fans of the podcast to the episode when Ben decided to record outside because it was a nice day. <laughs> uh, I was. I wonder. It wasn't this episode, but it was around that time that we did this, I believe. Um, but yeah. Anyway, if you haven't already, as, as well, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. It's gonna be an exciting month of band movies. Yeah. Um. So, queue up your Spotify, Pandora, if you ha- if you do that still, or you're just if you listen to CDs, I don't know. Um, so yeah, thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon.